Good morning, everybody. You okay? We're going to have our next part in our series of whatever you do. And I want to tell you about a situation that seemed completely disastrous for the people of God. What an encouraging start to a sermon. It was a really terrible situation, and it comes in Daniel chapter 1. In the third year of the reign of Joachim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Joachim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of the court of officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service. Among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. Jerusalem had been attacked by a vast and powerful empire, the Babylonians. And it looked like the people of God had lost. Their city had been ransacked, and things that were sacred to them had been taken away. And Daniel and his friends had been removed from their homeland and placed in another city, in another culture. And the Babylonians were trying to make Daniel and his friends to be just like everybody else in the empire, to completely lose their distinctiveness as believers in the God of Israel. It all looked pretty grim. And yet, the book of Daniel is not about how the Babylonians influenced Daniel. It's the other way around. It's about how Daniel and his friends made an impact and had an influence on those around them. How is this possible? How could Daniel and his friends make an impact against this vast empire? Well, it's because the God that they served was far, far greater than any empire. Thank you, Margaret. Now, you may feel, living and working in the UK at this time, that our culture has become less and less Christian that the values that we believe in and the freedom for us to express our views have been eroded over the years. could even feel like we've lost in terms of getting our message across. And there's a pressure sometimes for us to fit in, to believe what everybody else believes, to fit in with the culture so that we become just like everybody else. But you and I can be an influence Not because you or I are anything special, but because the God we serve is far greater. In John 1, sorry, 1 John 4 verse 4, it tells us, the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. And just as Daniel's story 
isn't about him being influenced by the culture around him, but rather the other way around. So your story can be that you can make an impact. You can have an influence on those around you. Let's first of all define what we mean by influence, if we're to work out how we can be an influence on others. The Oxford Dictionary defines it as the capacity to have an effect on the character, development, or behavior of someone or something. You may say, I could never influence anybody. I can see that Daniel, he influenced even, even kings. But I'm not someone that influences anyone. Actually, you are. The evangelist D.L. Moody said this. He said, out of 100 men, one will read the Bible and the other 99 will read the Christian. Do you understand that? You're an impact. You're an influence. People look at you and that's the view that they take of Christianity. The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 5 says, We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We are his representatives. What an incredible privilege and what an amazing responsibility. So let's look at how Daniel had an impact. And I'm going to read to you a bit further into Daniel chapter 1. And it's a bit of a strange story to start with, but there's an important thing we can get out of it. Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. Now, God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel, but the official told Daniel, I am afraid of my lord, the king, who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men of your age? The king would then have my head because of you. Daniel then said to the guard, whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for ten days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the raw food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for ten days. At the end of the ten days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. So what am I saying? Am I saying we all ought to become vegetarian? No, let's, let's think a bit more about the story. Bible commentators aren't sure why Daniel refuses to eat the royal food. It could be that uh, it had been meat offered to idols. But I think that what... Daniel is saying is, look at how I live. Look at me closely over a period of time, and you'll see that the distinctive way that I choose to live is actually better. It's healthier. It's a better way of life than the way that you choose to live. And as you live in your neighborhood, as you work among your colleagues who have very, very different ways to approach life, and you do that over months, years, perhaps even decades, they have a chance to observe how you live your life. And over time, they'll be able to see that actually the way you live is healthier, it's better, it's a better way of life than the way of the world. Now, I'm all for us having one-off encounters with people where we share the gospel with, with others. That's fantastic. We should definitely do that whenever we get the opportunity. But being in the same office, the same neighborhood or wherever, over a period of time, gives us the opportunity for a different kind of influence. 
Because over time, people will be able to look at you and you, they'll be able to say, actually, they have peace in their life. They have hope. They're living for something more than money, more than career. And it will have an impact over time. But it does take a while to communicate that. If you read the book of Daniel, you may find that you, you might skip over verse 21, where it says this. And Daniel remained there, that's in Babylon, until the first year of King Cyrus. Now, that's actually a really helpful verse. Because the period between the, the siege of Jerusalem and King Cyrus, again, Bible commentators are divided on it, but somewhere between 50 and 70 years. So the book is written over decades if we're not careful, you can end up reading through the book of Daniel and it just seems to be non-stop excitement. So he's interpreting the king's dream one moment, then his friends are in the fiery furnace, then he's interpreting another dream from the king and then there's the writing on the wall and then he's in the lion's den and it's, wow, this is just non-stop excitement, one thing after another. It's almost like the book of Daniel is some kind of ancient version of the TV series 24 and uh, Daniel is some kind of spiritual Jack Bauer where things are, are so exciting that he has no time to eat, sleep or even and apparently visit the bathroom. No, that isn't what the book of Daniel is. The book of Daniel is over decades. Most of the days that Daniel would have, have been in Babylon, he'd have just been faithfully getting on with his job, just doing well, just witnessing this distinctive lifestyle, and there were these occasional moments of, of trial and occasional moments of breakthrough. And I find that really helpful because most of my days are just getting on with working in insurance. <laughs> and that's not like 24. <laughs> so we can feel disappointed if we don't see people around us becoming Christians. But it's about having an influence on them over time as well as sometimes these one-off encounters. A guy called Paul Hazeldean writes this. In the past, people have often seen evangelism only in terms of people being converted. Understood this way, most of our evangelism must be counted as pure failure. Few people can live with that level of failure and few survive as evangelists or even as effective witnesses for long. But if you understand something of the journey a person must take in order to discover God then you know that helping someone take one more step towards God is successful evangelism just as much as helping them over the final line. Let's think about this. It may be that when you first came into your team at work or moved into your street, that the people around you thought, well, nobody really believes the Bible anymore, do they? Nobody ever really goes to church apart from Christmas and Easter. And then... They meet you, and they say, well, what did you do over the weekend? Oh, I did this, that, and the other, and I went to church. And immediately, you're challenging their preconceptions. And then, as they observe you over time, and they see, oh, actually, they do stick to their principles. They do, the, this religion of theirs does seem to make an impact in their life. And all the time, you're having an influence and moving them in terms of them understanding more about God. Bill Clinton said, it's hard to argue 
with a life lived well. It's hard to argue with a life lived well. You may not necessarily have the cleverest arguments, but over time, it's hard to argue if your life seems to work, if you seem to have peace and joy when others around you don't. It makes an impact. So let's look more closely at how you can be an influence. So first of all, through our approach to work. And it's clear from the book of Daniel that Daniel and his friends were great workers. It says in chapter 1, verse 19 and 20, that the king found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, so they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. Christians can be great employees and have an impact and an influence through their work. Let me explain this. As James said last week, work was initiated by God. If you read Genesis, you'll see that God is described as a worker and that he was pleased with the work that he had done. And then he makes Adam in his own image and commissions him to be a worker in the garden. And this is all before the fall. And Adam, made in the image of God, works in the garden. He brings order to it. He brings creativity to it in naming the animals. We are made in the image of God. And there's something in us that God has put within us that makes us want to work, to do something. Now, I'm not talking about necessarily about employment because you might be caring for small children or other dependents. You might be studying you might be volunteering. What I'm saying is have something that you're giving yourself to. And within that space, you can demonstrate something of the character of God. So let's say you're in the health service. You'll be showing caring and compassion, that quality from God, throughout your work. If you're in education, you'll be exercising that godly attribute of teaching. If you're in the civil service, you're bringing order. And God is not a God of disorder, but a God of peace. And so whatever we're doing, there'll be attributes of God that we can model, that we can show through what we do. And I think that as we do that, as we, as James said from Colossians 3 verse 23, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord. If we go to our jobs or whatever we're doing and we say, Lord, I believe that you've called me for this day to do this. Lord, I believe that I'm doing this for you in the way that I serve my clients, my customers, my bosses, whoever, my colleagues. I think that that will really make a difference because we'll give ourselves to it in a really definable way, and that will have an influence. I'm not pretending any of this is easy. In Genesis 3, you read about thorns and thistles post the fall, that actually work can sometimes be difficult. It can be painful. It can be hard. It can be frustrating. But I think that if we come to it on this basis of saying, Lord, you've put me here, and I'm going to try and model some of your attributes and characteristics in what I do, I think it will make a difference. Then, 
we influence through how we act. In Daniel 6, verse 4, it says, The administrators and the satraps, that's another word for administrator, tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Integrity is a key area in which you can be an influence. There's a guy in our Eltham congregation, a guy called Nemi. How many of you know Nemi? A few of you. He, he gets... Uh, people poke, poke fun at him at his work for being a Christian. But when they play football together and there's a dispute over whether something really was a goal, who do they ask to adjudicate? <laughs> Nemi, because they know he's got integrity. So it does shine out. It does make a difference. How we treat our colleagues makes an impact. The American author and preacher Tim Keller tells the story of this woman coming along to his church and he, he speaks to her after the meeting. He says, oh, why, why have you started coming along? And she says that she's, she'd recently started a new job and fairly early on she'd made this really, really bad mistake. It was so bad she thought she was going to get fired. But instead what happened was her boss went into his boss and took full responsibility for what she'd done. Now, this woman had many, many times seen bosses take credit for what their team members had done. Happens all the time, right? But they, she'd never, ever seen a boss take the blame for something a team member had done. So she was completely bewildered by this and went in to see him and said, why did you do that? And he said, I'm a Christian, and I know that Jesus took the blame for the mistakes that I made. So I thought it was the appropriate thing to do in these circumstances. And she was just so overwhelmed by this, not a Christian, but she said, I've just got to check this out because it's just so different. Now, I'm not saying go into work tomorrow and take the blame for what everybody else does. But what I'm saying is how we act, led by the Holy Spirit, led by the Word of God, it makes a difference. It makes an impact. Next, through our speech. One of the key ways in which we influence others is through what we say and what we don't say. In the book of James, verse 2, it says, We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. So because control over what we say is so difficult, it's a key area in which we can be distinctive. Because what you say can smooth or inflame an argument or you can build people up, or you can crush them with what you say. So it's a key area in which we can be distinctive. And the Bible is full of great advice about what to say and what not to say. I advise you to read through the book of Proverbs. It's really, really helpful. But I'm just going to quote one verse from the book of James that I think is fantastic advice for the workplace. James 1 verse 19 says, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. I think that's great advice. <laughs> and uh, it's so easy to say the wrong thing and harm your reputation as a Christian in what you say. I've quoted this before, but I just think it's so helpful. Nikki Gumbel of HTB recommends that you should ask yourself three questions before you say anything about someone else. First, is it true? 
There's lots of times at work where people say things that are just speculation. They're not true about other people. Second, is it necessary? If your colleagues are all moaning about something or somebody, do you really need to say anything at all? You can just remain silent. And third, is it kind? There are ways to talk about people where you're emphasizing their good points rather than their bad points, where you're being charitable about their shortcomings. Another way we can be different is in terms of kindness. Colossians 3 says, uh, verse 12 says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Because we're sinners, kindness often doesn't come that easy. And Colossians tells us to, make, to be intentional about it, to make a conscious effort to put on kindness. I've personally found at work trying to express an interest in others, asking them what they're doing over the weekend and trying to follow up afterwards and say, how did that family gathering go or how did that, that football match go, to, go that you were going to see? That sort of thing just helps in terms of building relationships, showing kindness. I find reaching out and, and uh, spending more time with people who others think are a bit difficult, I think that that's another area in which we can show kindness. We also, of course, are an influence in how we share the gospel. In Daniel 2, we read the story of Nebuchadnezzar, the king, and his dream. It says this, In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was troubled, and he could not sleep. So the king summoned the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers to tell him what he had dreamed. When they came in and stood before the king, he said to them, I have had a dream that troubles me, and I want to know what it means. And he won't tell them what the dream is, and he threatens to kill them all if they can't tell him what it was and what it means. So, totally unreasonable. If you've ever thought you worked for a difficult guy, then Nebuchadnezzar was worse. And of course, it was completely unreasonable, but the backstory that you need to know is that the Babylonians had spent loads of money and loads of resources on astrology. They thought it would give them an edge. They thought it would help them in terms of their national strategy. And so what Nebuchadnezzar is really saying is, I've invested loads of time and money in this, and just now, when I'm feeling really troubled, you're not coming through for me. That whole worldview that he's built around himself, it's not helping him in a moment of crisis. That's why he gets so angry. Now, in our workplaces and our neighborhoods, we'll have people around us with very, very different worldviews and philosophies. And like Nebuchadnezzar, the most powerful man in the world at the time, didn't look like he needed anything, many times the people around us don't look like they need God at all, everything's fine. But there may well come a time, sadly, in their lives, when the whole philosophy and worldview that they've built their lives around, uh, around themselves doesn't come through for them. Perhaps it's a time of sickness or death of a loved one, and this whole worldview and philosophy that they have, it just doesn't come through for them. And at those moments, it may be that having built that trust, built that relationship over time, you're going to be somebody who they can talk to. One guy I worked with closely for a couple of years, he knew I was a Christian, knew I went to church, but I hadn't really explained the gospel to him, hadn't really had the chance. And then nine years later, we're still working for the same organization, but in different areas he comes to see me one day. He says, could you pray for me? My marriage is falling apart. 
And sometimes, over time, we'll have those opportunities where, sadly, things aren't going well for people and they need, they really need Jesus at that moment. I think, as Tom was saying about spending quality time with colleagues, and I think that that's something that's really important. I've got to be honest with you, in the working day, things are so busy, I don't get more than a couple of minutes to talk about anything other than work with my colleagues. There's just too much going on. So I need to try and make time to invest in those relationships. Sometimes it's really good to go out for a drink with people at work. Not too many drinks, but just a couple of drinks. To spend a bit of time, go running like Tom does. Something where you've got an opportunity, a space to connect more with people. So I was traveling recently, sitting in the airport lounge waiting for the plane. This guy says, who I, from my, my work, says, Oh, you mentioned you were a Christian. Can you tell me a bit more about that? because we had a bit more space. We weren't in the pressure of the office. And be ready to share. 1 Peter 3 verse 15 says, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you for the reason for the hope you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. Some years ago, in the equivalent of communities, we were encouraged to... um, work out a one-minute testimony, a really quick way of being able to distill down about um, sharing the gospel and the difference uh, that your, your own testimony and the difference that Jesus had made in your life. And at work once, I was at the coffee machine, and a guy comes up, and you know the sort of guy. This is probably the last person I want to witness to because he's just somebody he just, I imagined, would ridicule me. And he said, oh, what did you do over the weekend? I said, oh, I did this and I did that. And I said, oh, I went to church. And he said, oh, I didn't, I didn't know you were religious. And I gave him my one-minute testimony because I was ready. And he didn't fall on his knees and say, what must I do to be saved? <laughs> but he didn't laugh at me either. And I was so pleased that I was ready to share because actually I could have found that intimidating. Okay, how do we stay distinctive? So the big challenge for Daniel and his friends is how do they stay distinctive? Jesus said in Matthew 5, You are the salt of the earth, but if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's sometimes hard to really grasp just how different, uh, just the impact that the culture we're in has on us. We're bombarded with different values all the time. I think sometimes you only really get an understanding of this when you go to something like Ashburnham. So four days away, Christian conference, and then you come back and you go to your workplace and you think, wow, that really is different from what I've been in the last four days. But most of the time, we don't even really notice it because we're just used to it. And two things for Daniel. One is um, that he was in community. When he has a problem in Daniel chapter 2, He calls upon his friends, and they get together, and they pray. And I want to say to you, do you feel like you're really in community, like you're connected with others? It's so so good being in a city community, which I'm part of, where a group of guys get together, and we can talk about work issues and pray for one another. It's really helpful to have those connections. So if you're not in a community, I'd respectfully say, I think you're really missing out. And I think it would be really good to sign up and spend some time getting to know more people. But the real way we stay distinctive 
is in staying close to the influencer. See, the big problem with a word like I'm giving you today is that when you go to work tomorrow, you'll think, I must try harder. I must try harder to be different. I must be better at what I say. I must be kinder to everybody. And it just becomes striving. And Simon brought that really helpful word about the ship. And some of us have got a lot of coal. Some of us have only got a little bit. But we're going to run dry at some point. And it's only us connecting with the influencer that is going to help us. Because Jesus Christ is the most influential person ever. He has influenced billions of people and continues to impact millions of lives every single day. And the way that we're going to make a difference is not through our own effort. You know, we will just be so unsuccessful, but it's through him working through us. In John 15, Jesus tells us, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. A guy called George Muller ran an orphanage which cared for about 10,000 orphans over his time, and he established 117 schools which offered Christian education to over 120,000 children. And he said this, I saw more clearly than ever that the first great and primary business to which I ought to attend to every day was to have my soul happy in the Lord. The first thing to be concerned about was not how much I might serve the Lord, how much I might glorify the Lord, but how I might get my soul into a happy state and how my inner man may be nourished. I saw that the most important thing I had to do was to give myself to the reading of the word of God and to meditate on it. We have to stay close to the influencer if we're going to make an impact. Now you may say, oh, George Miller had to do that. He was in full-time ministry. But let me say, so are you. So are you. You're on the front line in a culture that is very, very different to the Christian culture. How much more do we need to stay close to the influencer? And it's so important to have those times. Now, to be honest with you, every, virtually every working day, I would spend some time in prayer. But if I'm honest, a lot of those times, it's, I'm thinking through the day, thinking, oh, I've got this difficult meeting. Lord, please, would you help me? It becomes very task-orientated. It's, what I try and do is to make sure I get some time, some space where I'm spending a longer period of time with the Lord, where I'm just reminding myself of his love and his mercy and his grace, because that overflows into my life, and then I hope overflows outwards. But it's at that point where my heart is melted once again by his love, where I know I'm eternally secure, where I know that he loves me, that he's with me, and from that position... That's how I think that we can be an influencer. When we've received his love, so we can give it. 